Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Richard Church, and I just wanted to take a moment before the lesson today to let you know about an upcoming opportunity for some edification and Christian fellowship. I'm going to be the Bible teacher at Northern Grace Youth Camp's first family camp, which will take place June 29th through July 5th in Gillette, Wisconsin. The theme of the Bible messages will be transformed. And in addition to the Bible teaching and discussion, uh, the camp has lots of indoor and outdoor activities for you to enjoy. Uh, If you're interested and you want more information or for registration, check out the Northern Grace Youth Camp website at www.ngyc.org. Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn today to Ephesians 6. You see verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so he, he uh, uses the word finally there, indicating that he's bringing this letter to a close. And this is a, you could say, a final admonition to the Ephesians, where he tells them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, as as he's described these things, and actually, you know, we've looked at the verses here in 5 and 6, but really uh, chapters uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6 have all been practical instruction about living the Christian life and how to glorify the Lord uh, in in all these various ways. And he, he, as he's about to come to a close here, he reminds them that they are to be strong in the Lord. That these are not things. Living the Christian life is not something that you can do in your own strength. See, the the Christian life is not, and this message that we have in in these passages, it's not just some motivational speech about how if you exercise your willpower, you you can live out these things. And in fact, what you'll find in that, in trying to live that way, is all you'll find is condemnation. Because no matter how hard you try in your flesh, you're going to fall short of everything that's, that's been given in these verses. You see, it's not about strengthening ourselves to, to live this Christian life. It's about being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Uh, in fact, the, the words there when it says, be strong in the Lord. The idea there in the wording is not that that this being strong is something you do, but rather it's a strengthening that's granted to you. It's the same kind of thing that's mentioned back in chapter 3. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. As as, uh, we have there in chapter 3, Paul praying for these saints at Ephesus. Uh, He says in verse 13, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, 
and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And as he records that prayer there in chapter 3, he ends by saying, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You see, for the believer, for the saint, and you realize a saint, a biblically, a saint is not some you know, some dead person that some council decides to name a saint. In the Bible, every believer is a saint. Uh, a saint is someone who, in fact, the, the, the word saint, it would be closely related to that word sanctify. That means to be set apart. And when a person believes the gospel, they are set apart by God and they are a saint. When Paul talks about being able to comprehend with all saints, he's saying with all believers. Okay, now those believers aren't saints because of what they do. They, they don't necessarily act like saints or what you might expect a saint would act like but they're saints because of what christ accomplished right and and not only is that true in justification that's true in in sanctification as well that the power that allows us to live a christian life is not our power it's not our strength it's not the the strength of our flesh but it's to be strengthened as he describes here in the inner man by the spirit of god And that is a power that's available to every believer. Every believer has the Spirit of God dwelling in them so that you have that that power. When you talk about being strengthened in the inner man, this is not what the world talks about when they talk about inner strength. See, when the world talks about inner strength, they're talking about working up this confidence in yourself and in your abilities. This strength, being strengthened in the inner man, is is actually just the opposite. It is a, a, a complete rejection of my own abilities, my own strength, my own power, and instead of resting in, in the power of Christ, in the power of God. And so when he tells them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, it's not their own power, it's not their own strength, but rather that by, by resting in the Lord, that's where the strength comes from. And Verse 11 goes on then, back in Ephesians 6. So verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, Paul is going to use an extended analogy here in the next several verses where he likens the Christian life to a battle and the Christian to a soldier. And he, he says to, like a, like a soldier would do, to put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against what he refers to as the wiles of the devil. Uh, if you go over to, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1, Paul instructs Timothy, his son in the faith, He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, he's telling Timothy here on an individual level the same thing that that he was telling the Ephesians uh, there in our text. He tells him to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There in verse 2 you have Paul's strategy for ministry, which was, Paul, see, Paul had received some things from the Lord. He went out and taught them, and people like Timothy heard them. He tells Timothy, now you teach them to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. See, there's four generations of believers there in that verse. And, and that's, 
that's the goal, uh, understand, of the local church. It's not just to, to, you know, have a nice time together once a week and and, uh, eat a potluck dinner together once a month. Those things are nice. But it's to take these doctrines of God's word and instill them in people who will then be able to go out and teach others. You understand, you, you have a responsibility to go out and teach others the things that you learn from God's word as well. And, and Paul tells Timothy to do that. And he warns him, though, that in doing that, there's going to come some opposition. He says in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You see, the, the job of a soldier is not to please himself. Uh, you know, the soldier on the battlefield, uh, if he's a, a good soldier, he's not thinking about all the things of, of his life, all the cares of his life. He's thinking about fighting that battle, and he's probably thinking about staying alive quite a bit. But, but also, the training they go through is designed, in many cases, to overcome just that survival instinct so that they'll do what needs to be done to accomplish the mission. And we have no less of a responsibility than that soldier when it comes to standing for these things of God's word. So there's a battle going on around us. Now, we can act as if there is no battle. We can just pretend that, that uh, the battle doesn't exist. But there is a battle going on, and every believer is a soldier in that battle. The question is whether you're going to be a good soldier, as Paul tells Timothy to be here, or whether you're going to be a rotten soldier that doesn't fight. You say, there's, there's a fight there, and we need to be involved in it. And, and Paul warns Timothy there about how the things of this life entangle you, and the cares of this life entangle you and pull you away from the battle so that you're putting your energy into just the same kinds of things the world puts their energy into instead of the battle that's going on around you. And he says for the soldier, the, the goal is that he should, his business should be about pleasing the one who's chosen him to be this, the soldier. Uh, if we go back to our text in, in Ephesians 6, now this battle, understand that this battle that we're involved in, verse 12 tells you the nature of the battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle for the Christian is not... A, a battle of, you know, trying to go out and subjugate people. There have been many times in history where professing Christians, and, and even, you know, whether they were really Christians or not, God knows, but uh, professing Christians have become mistaken about what the battle is. And they think the battle is about going out and, and taking over other countries, in some cases using power of governments and, and you know, other kinds of, kinds of uh, organizations and institutions to subjugate people and do those kinds of things. That's not our battle. You see, it says what we're wrestling against is not flesh and blood. And it, it can be easy to lose track of that. Uh, you know, we, we live in a world where there is a really, a very real flesh and blood struggle that is going on between Islam and the Western world. But you realize that the, the job is not to go out militarily and subjugate Muslim countries. That's not the job of the church. It's not the job of the, of the Christian. It's not a flesh and blood battle. And, and in fact, I mean, if you were to do that, if you were to go out by force of arms and, and subjugate somebody, what, what have you really 
what purpose have you really served in the spiritual battle? Um, you, you've taken some people that were lost, and now they're lost, but they're under your control, but they're still lost, you see? And, and that's not where the battle is. Uh, so much, there's so much energy that's wasted often by Christians and by churches because they don't realize where the battle is or they re- refuse to recognize where the battle is. It is a spiritual battle. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, this is not talking about uh, governments of this world either. That, that's not what it's describing. The principalities and powers, the, the rulers of the darkness of this world, it's talking about the spiritual principalities and powers. Uh, in fact, when it says spiritual wickedness in high places, there at the end of verse 12, that is literally the heavenlies. Do you realize that there's spiritual wickedness in heavenly places today? Uh, many people mistakenly believe that, for instance, they believe that Satan has been cast out of heaven. Um, the the uh, problem with that is, for instance, go put a, put a mark here in Ephesians. Go back to the book of Job. Many people um, and, and uh, many Christians believe that when Satan sinned against God, he was automatically, immediately cast out of heaven. That's not what the Bible describes, however. Uh, if you go to the, the very first chapter of the book of Job... It describes, um, it describes in the first few verses the man Job, and you're probably familiar with that story of Job and how Job was this very prosperous man, and uh, there was kind of a, kind of a, uh, a, a disagreement or, or an argument, maybe you could say, between God and Satan, and God allowed Satan to, to take away what Job had. But, uh, but notice in verse 6, It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now the sons of God in the Old Testament, that is a term that refers to angels. In the New Testament, it talks about how how we can become sons of God through faith in Christ. But in the Old Testament, when it talks about the sons of God, that is a term that refers to angels. Okay? Uh, It's used in Genesis 6. It's used several times here in the book of Job, always referring to angelic beings. Now, you see that it talks about this day when the sons of God, these angels, are going to come and present themselves before the Lord. Now, this is not something that's taking place on the earth. This is something that's taking place in heaven. And you notice what it says at the end of verse 6, and Satan came also among them. You see, Satan is there among those sons of God. Uh, He's there in the heavens. And the fact that Satan has rebelled and the fact that Satan has caused other of the angelic hosts as well to rebel against God, God has, has not cast Satan down to the earth. He has not restricted him from heaven. That is something that is yet future. Now, there's going to come a day when that takes place. If you go to the book of Revelation, I'll just show it to you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Now, these are events that are happening. Remember, remember what the, the timeline of Bible prophecy is. Uh, this present dispensation ends with the catching up of the church, the body of Christ. At some point after that, you have the, the, final, the final seven years of, of Daniel's prophecy, uh, and that's sometimes referred to as the tribulation period. And this is happening at the midpoint, halfway through that tribulation period. 
It says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, which is Satan. And the dragon fought in his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. You see, halfway through the tribulation, it says, their place was no more found in heaven. Before that, they did have a place in heaven. But there it says their place was not found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You see, when that's taking place, that's yet future from where we are today. There will come a time where God cleanses the heavens of that wickedness that is there, and he casts out Satan to the earth, but it hasn't happened yet. Which means there are, there is, as this verse describes in Ephesians 6, there is spiritual wickedness in heavenly places today. And there's a battle, this, this battle that's going on. Now there in Revelation, it is a, a, a visible battle taking place between Michael and, and the Lord's host and Satan and those angels that followed him. And you see the results of it uh, described in advance there in Revelation. The, the battle that we're involved in is in some ways similar to that. Uh, but you see it says we're wrestling against those principalities and powers, those rulers of the darkness of this world, that spiritual wickedness in those high places or heavenly places back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Well, how do you and I wrestle against spiritual principalities and powers? You know, if you, if you go out and look at different teachings among, among various Christians about how you do that, there's a lot of pretty fanciful things out there being taught. Uh, I, I remember, um, I remember one, one time going door to door, sharing the gospel. It was down in Florida after a, there was a, a hurricane that had come through. It didn't, it didn't, uh, hit directly at kind of just the edges of it, hit where we were at in central Florida. And it was probably, probably the weekend after that that uh, my friend Mark and I were going door to door and there was a, a woman who was all excited to tell us about how her, her property had been protected because she had gone out and placed an angel on every of the four corners of her property and those angels protected her property from any damage from that hurricane. Now, that sounds kind of strange, but I know where she got that from because uh, there's a, a television station out of Orlando where they have people that will teach about how you can command angels. And, and you can, they'll, they'll tell you how, you know, if you pray this certain prayer or whatever, you can place a hedge of protection around. You can command these angels, see? And, and people will buy into that stuff and people will spend a lot of money to, to buy books and tapes and things. Uh, so people will teach them how to do that and it gives them a feeling of power that they can, they can command these angels and things. And of course, none of that is, is biblical. Uh, much of what people refer to as, you hear ministries that call themselves a spiritual deliverance ministry. And that's the kind of thing that they're teaching. The, the, the battle that's going to be described here as we look at the armor and as we look at the, the, uh, the equipment that the Lord has provided for the church, it's not a, a battle about, you know, about struggling with demons. That's not what you see described here in this passage. And this is the, the really the key passage on spiritual warfare for the believer. All right? The, the battle that's going on is not that kind of a battle. The battle that's going on is a battle about truth. It is a battle about doctrine. 
And see, if, if the devil can get people to believe in you know, so many of those different kinds of things, it takes the focus off where the real battle is. Okay, because most of the people who believe in all those kinds of things, you talk about even some of the most basic points of biblical doctrine, and they're often willfully ignorant. Willfully ignorant, uh, I like the way Kent Hovind defines that term. It means dumb on purpose. It means somebody who doesn't know and doesn't want to know, right? And, and people would rather go and read fiction books by Frank Peretti than they would, re- than they would come to God's Word and, and learn the, the truths that are there. And Frank Peretti's books are not going to prepare you to fight spiritual warfare, all right? They, they may, you know, they may uh, satisfy your imagination and that kind of thing, but that's not where the battle is. So how do we, how do we wrestle? If it's not that kind of thing, if we're not out, you know, commanding angels and, and you know, fighting against these devils in, in the sense that he describes, then what kind of a battle is it? The, the truth is it's a doctrinal battle. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If, if you ever want to know what, what Satan is doing, you know, we, we, all, we study dispensations and we study how God has worked at different times, at, at, uh, you know, different ways at different times. Realize that every time there's a change in the way that God is working, there's a corresponding change in how Satan begins to work. Uh, Satan always works through a counterfeit. He always tries to counterfeit what God is doing. Uh, because, because remember, remember what, say, I told you to go to 1 Timothy 4. Let's read the verses here, and then I may have you go somewhere else. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, it's, you know, it's interesting the things he lists there as doctrines of devils. Forbidding to marry. Can you think of any, any church organizations that teach that if you want to be truly spiritual, you have to take a vow of celibacy? Um, commanding to abstain from meats. Again, can you, can you think of church organizations that say you shouldn't eat meat on certain days and that kind of thing? Paul calls those doctrines of devils, all right? He doesn't call them good practices to involve yourself in. He doesn't call them uh, even just, just, you know, he doesn't just say they're wrong. He says they're doctrines of, of devils themselves. He says that's a part of the seducing spirits that are, are uh, speaking lies and hypocrisy and those kinds of things, okay? Understand, go, go back to the book of Isaiah, I want to show you something here that maybe you've never considered about about who Satan is. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 um, is a passage that is addressed to Satan. And it recounts some things about Satan and about his sins. Uh, It says in verse 12, Isaiah 14 verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didn't weaken the nations? You see, it calls him there Lucifer. That term Lucifer means light bringer. And realize that, that Satan, the name Satan means adversary. But he wasn't always the adversary. 
And Satan, he's described in, in uh, Ezekiel as being the anointed cherub that covereth. And you know, there are cherubim, these angelic beings, that carry the throne of God. But Satan is called the anointed cherub that covereth. And he was a chosen cherub that, that had a position of covering the throne of God. You see? And... Um, uh, here he's called the light bringer. Now, it's not that he was the source of light, but he had a, a job there in connection with the, the throne of God of, of, maybe you could say, reflecting the glory of God. Uh, over there in Ezekiel, it, it describes as well uh, things like the, the uh, it talks about his, his tabrets and his pipes, which is talking about the ability to make music. You know, there's a, just, just like any kind of royal procession, there's a, a herald that that announces the arrival. That was part of Satan's job. And here he's called by that name Lucifer, Lightbringer. It refers to him as the son of the morning, but it says, How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. Now, there's, there's five I wills there that, that Satan says, but you know, really, you look at those things, and the, when he says, I will be like the most high, there's a, there's a word we use to say that something is like God, and, and that's the word godly, right? To be godly would be to be like God. Isn't Satan saying here, I will be godly? See, he's not saying, I'm going to be the complete opposite of who God is. He says, I will be like the most high God. Now, he's not the most high. That's not, that's not who he is, but he says, I will be like the most high. Do you know that it can be a sin to, to by your will, try to be godly and to claim that you will be godly? See, that was Satan's sin. It wasn't that he was going to be the exact opposite of who God was. It was that he said by his will, he was going to be like God. And that's what Satan tries to do. So Satan doesn't come along and tell you to do the opposite of everything God says. Satan comes along and says, I'm, I'm going to be like God, and I'm going to tell you to, to do godly things. Um, go, go to Second uh, Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 13, but uh, Paul addresses in verse 12 these, these people that are desiring an occasion against him. They're looking for things to criticize him about. And he says about these people in verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, I want you to notice there, as it describes the ministers of Satan, it doesn't say the ministers of Satan are going to be people who are going to dress in in black robes and, and carry a satanic Bible and listen to heavy metal music. That's not what it says. It says his ministers are transformed as ministers of righteousness. Say, Satan's ministers are not going to come saying we worship Satan. Satan's ministers are going to come with a Bible in their hand and say, here's the right way that, that you should worship God. But their real God isn't God at all. Okay? And, and oftentimes they're even unaware 
that the, of the fact that they are serving Satan. You see, it says if Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, it's no marvel if his ministers come as ministers of righteousness. There, there is more danger and there is more falsehood spread within churches uh, by people who quote scripture and, and hold a Bible in their hand, and yet they twist that scripture to teach falsehood. There's more danger from that than there is from, you know, from somebody like Anton LaVey and the, and the Church of Satan. Okay? Because, because it's obvious what those people are. But it's the ones who come and are the ministers of righteousness, but in reality they're serving Satan. That's why, as Paul talks about those doctrines of devils, those are things that are taught in churches. Those are things that are taught by people claiming to be Christians. And Paul calls them doctrines of devils. That's where the battle is. It's a doctrinal battle. The way that you fight against those, those uh, principalities and powers, against that spiritual wickedness, if Satan has his doctrines, the doctrines of devils that they're teaching, the way you fight against that is by taking a stand and proclaiming the truth of God's word. That's where the spiritual battle is. As we talk about the armor that God has equipped the believer with, all of those things that are listed, he's talking about doctrine that you take and use to stand against the, the false doctrines of the devil. If we would approach each day as a soldier going into battle, take carefully putting on these pieces of armor so that we can face whatever attack is going to come from the enemy that day, that's, that's the goal. There are people all around you that need to hear the gospel. And you may be the first person to ever, ever show somebody how they can have eternal life as a free gift, that Christ paid it all, that his blood was the complete payment for their sins, and that, that their part is just to receive it. You might be the first person that ever told them that. Don't assume, don't assume that, that they must have heard, because there's pretty good odds that they haven't heard that. And your battle, remember, your battle is not against that lost person. Your battle is against the false doctrines and things that, that have entrapped that person and that keep them in that state. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.